Yellowstone and with the snow. And I had a baby due in February, and uh, we got there in November. So we snowmobiled in and out and to go to the doctor's appointments and, and all that. And um, riding on the back of the snowmobile sled, nine months pregnant. That's Diane Moses, interviewed in 2014 by Lily Tishton for the Association of National Park Rangers Oral History Project. Later, we'll hear from Diane's husband, Dan. I interviewed him separately the same year. I'm historian Lou Ann Jones of the Park History Program, and you're listening to Centennial Voices. Dan and Diane knew their passions early on. They met at Shenandoah National Park when they were in their 20s. I went to the school at Michigan State, majored in fish and wildlife, and I was hired by as a seasonal at Shenandoah in 1980. And that's where it all started. I was born in Virginia in a little town called Luray. It's in the northern part of the Shenandoah Valley, and it, it's a small town, but it, it was the headquarters of Shenandoah National Park. Mm -hmm. And that's where I really began getting my interest mm -hmm. in the Park Service. Mm -hmm. But we got married in 1981, mm -hmm. and uh, she was a seasonal employee at the time. I was in a permanent position. The next stop was Yellowstone National Park, where their daughters, Christy and Leanna, were born. Both were born in Bozeman. Living inside the park at Yellowstone provided an extra challenge when it was time to give birth. Because there wasn't a hospital or a clinic it had, in, in West Yellowstone, it had closed. We still had the 100-mile the trip to go to Bozeman to the hospital. The winter day that Christy was born. So that morning, Dan got up and he went to work, and about a half hour later, my water broke, so I had to call him and tell him to come back home. <laughs> and, then drive to, and then drive to Bozeman. and. Simply getting to town for groceries involved lots of preparation. We were kind of seen going out on the snowmobile, had a little dog. Mm -hmm. So when we leave, um, my daughter was small enough at the time, she was only a few months old, I would w wear her in one of those snugglies uh -huh. that you attach to your, your front uh -huh. and zipped her up in the snowmobile suit. And the dog would sit in front of me and my wife would stand up on the back of the sled uh, that you took because you had to have the sled to carry your groceries on. And that's, that's how we went to town, and uh, 30 miles into, into West Yellowstone. When their oldest daughter was ready to start school, the couple transferred out of Yellowstone to avoid the long commute into town. At their next stop, Dinosaur National Monument in Utah, the family lived in the park in housing provided by the National Park Service. Community was an important part of living at the park. That was back in the days when the people you worked with, the people you lived with, the people you hung out with. Mm -hmm. So we had the potlucks and Halloween parties were a big thing there. We always had fun with those. And I think for the most part, that was um, a situation that really made it more of a family. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, it, and it was a good thing mm -hmm. for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. It really was. Mm -hmm. Their daughters completed most of their schooling in Utah. Park Service neighbors supplemented Diane and Dan's protection, instruction, and care. So we had several kids in, yeah. the, in the neighborhood there, and, and they would all play together. And so there were neighbors around. There were people around. If anything yeah. happened, they, they knew their, their limits. The Moses kids enjoyed supervision and freedom. Our kids, um, 
in the summer they they'd leave the house and and they were somewhere mm -hmm. i mean they we didn't necessarily know exactly where they were mm -hmm. my kids found out much later that they were raised with far fewer restrictions than other kids they knew because kids who grew up in town couldn't cross the street had to stay on one block could only go to so-and-so's house or whatever mm -hmm. and my kids had pretty much free reign of the of the place we had a shuttle bus that ran from our visitor center at the base of the hill up to the um, the museum. They'd go over and ride the shuttle bus up and down the hill, up and down the hill. And uh, the guy that was the shuttle bus driver, um, they loved him to death. He'd bring them candy bars yeah. and, and stuff. And he'd let them ride the bus up and down. They'd do that for hours. Mm -hmm. uh, listen to the, they, they could recite the tape that was on the, uh, on the shuttle bus uh, going up and back. They could have probably done the tour themselves. And they were, you know, my oldest daughter may have been, you know, seven, eight years old. Yeah. She could have she could have probably recited the, and gave them the tour on uh -huh. the way up. Uh -huh. um, but it was, you know, there was that kind of life. It got to the point where I got one of those old-fashioned triangle dinner bell things, and I hung it from the tree outside because I had no idea where they were. When, and I would ring the bell for them. And <laughs> Wherever they came from, they would come, and, and they'd, they'd be home for dinner. Uh -huh. uh, and then they'd have all the stories about who they had talked to that day. And, uh, it was fun. Mm -hmm. I mean, the kids the kids learned that that way of life. Mm -hmm. uh, there weren't any sidewalks, but you know they they got to explore. Mm -hmm. uh, they knew places that I didn't know up in the rocks above yeah. the house, uh -huh. and they have rather fond memories of living out there. It was it was fun. Mm -hmm. They had a, I think they had a good life. Mm -hmm. Thanks for listening. For Centennial Voices, this is Luann Jones, audio production courtesy of Alicia Rogers, an intern with the National Park Service.